Go ahead and open your Bibles with me to the book of Exodus. And as you do, welcome. I'm glad to see everyone uh, again this morning and again, again to be able to gather together as a church family. If you're a guest with us, again, a word of welcome. We're glad that you're here. If you have any questions that, that come about, need to talk, whether it's something serious or whether it's sports, um, I'm always up for a, a good conversation over a cup of coffee. Um, would love to be able to talk with you. Just reach out. If you have any prayer requests or needs or just want to be able to update your information, um, you can do so on the prayer card. Uh, the connection card is located right over on that black giving box or found at the guest table on the way in. Um, you can do those. I also want to draw your attention to the book stall that you saw on your way in. Um, if you didn't see it, you just kind of were in the zone and kept on walking. That's cool. You can see it on your way out. Um, it'll be on your left on the, on the way out. It's a, a continued work in progress, but our aim is to be able to put um, good resources, recommended resources before you um, week after week and day after day to help you grow in your faith. And so we're putting them out there at below cost. So whatever we paid for them to get them, whether it's in, in bulk or whatever, they're lower than that. And all we're uh, asking is that you know, if you see one and you can afford the donation recommended price, um, pay the donation. If you cannot afford them, but you say, I really want to read this. I just honestly can't afford it. Um, take it. Um, read it, pass it along to somebody else, um, and be able to continue to encourage individuals in the, the faith. Um, I'll point your attention to one right out of the gate. Um, it's just come out from the Old Testament ESV uh, scripture journals for the book of Exodus. And they're like $8 on Amazon. We got a donation suggested price for five. What they are is they're going to have like the scripture on one side and they're going to have just a blank page over here for you to take notes, write questions uh, for your own personal Bible study. If you want to follow along with the sermons, we'd have loved to have had these out uh, when, they, when we first started Exodus, but they weren't available yet. So, but now they are, you've only missed four chapters. We've got like 36 to go. Um, so, hey, dive on in, um, grab one of these on your way out. We've got 20 of them available there. But to the task at hand, the book of Exodus. To bring everyone up to speed on kind of where we're at, God has appeared before Moses out of the burning bush. It started in chapter three, saw that all the way up until verse 17 of where we ended last week. Has appeared to Moses there, has told Moses that Moses will be his vessel. He will be the means that God is gonna to use to deliver his people from their oppression, from slavery in Egypt. Moses is God's chosen deliverer, um, if you will, who will stand before Pharaoh and demand that Pharaoh let God's people go go. And if you've been with us for any length of time in this series, you, you, you realize that I do not picture Moses as being the Charlton Heston type of figure who's standing before Moses and saying, let my people go. Um, kind of that bold, macho type of man. I picture Moses a little bit more like Napoleon Dynamite, who just keeps complaining for his lack of skills. Like he doesn't have the skills to do what God has told him to do. Because what do we see from Moses? excuse after excuse of why he can't do what God has told him to do. He says, I, I, I can't. We've got four different I can'ts followed by a simple please in somebody else. I don't want to do this. Despite the fact that over and over again, God has been telling him, I, I will be with you. 
Every time he mentioned an excuse, he's like, I'm, I'm going to be with you. And he's explaining why and how. And God telling Moses exactly what he's to do, what he's to say, how the people he's speaking to, and both the elders of Israel, the people of Israel, and Pharaoh, how exactly they're going to respond. The elders of Israel are going to respond, yes, favorably. They're going to believe. The Pharaoh, he's not going to believe. But then he's coming back and saying, like, I'm going to tell you exactly what I'm going to do to ensure that my people are delivered and provided for, gives them all of this. And yet Moses is still kind of like, I can't, I can't, I can't. But now, moving into verse 18, where we're picking up today, is with Moses on his way to Egypt, doing exactly what God has called him to do, despite all of his excuses, despite of his continued fear, he's now, finally, he's stepping out in faith-filled obedience to do what God has called him to do. Reminder that no excuse being a worthy excuse to get him out of doing what God had called him to do. So picking up in verse 18, Moses went back to Jethro, his father-in-law, and said to him, please let me go back to my brothers in Egypt to see whether they are still alive. And Jethro said to Moses, go in peace. And the Lord said to Moses and Midian, go back to Egypt for all the men who were seeking your life are dead. So Moses took his wife and his sons and had them ride on a donkey and went back to the land of Egypt. And Moses took the staff of God in his hand. And the Lord said to Moses, when you go back to Egypt, see that you do before Pharaoh all the miracles that I have put in your power. But I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. Then you shall say to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn son. And I say to you, let my son go that he may serve me. If you refuse to let him go, behold, I will kill your firstborn son. At a lodging place on the way, the Lord met him and sought to put him to death. Then Zipporah took a flint and cut off her son's foreskin and touched Moses' feet with it and said, Surely you are a bridegroom of, of blood to me. So he let him alone. It was then, she said, a bridegroom of blood because of the circumcision. The Lord said to Aaron, Go into the wilderness to meet Moses. So he went and met him at the mountain of God and kissed him. And Moses told Aaron all the words of the Lord with, with which he, he had sent him to speak and all the signs that he had commanded him to do. Then Moses and Aaron went and gathered together all the elders of the people of Israel. Aaron spoke all the words that the Lord had spoken to Moses and did the signs in the sight of the people. And the people believed, and when they heard that the Lord had visited the people of Israel and that they had seen their affliction, they bowed their heads and worshiped. Now, I'm going to be honest here. There is some really difficult stuff in what we just read. And there is even some stuff in here that is like, what in the world is he talking about in this text? But the thing that I love about this passage, these verses that we just had the opportunity to read, is a reminder that when we come to faith, we don't have everything figured out. We don't automatically know everything that there is to know about what it means to walk with the Lord. Sin still is a struggle. Life is still hard. And we're only treading in the baby pool of knowledge and understanding with an ocean yet left before us yet to learn. An ocean of knowledge and understanding yet to be able to be grasped. 
We don't have it all figured out. So five things from this text that all center on or around or connected in one way or another to what it means for our obedience to God and following faithfully after him. So number one, honor your father and mother. Now, we're, we're going to talk about this, that is honoring your father and mother more in great detail when we actually get to the great commandments, when it actually becomes a written commandment. But right now, we're seeing it practice coming off the, the heart of, of Moses here. After Moses leaves the burning bush, what's he do? Verse 18, Moses went back to Jethro, his father-in-law, and he said to him, please let me go back to my brothers in Egypt to see whether they are still alive. Now, I can't help but notice how Moses doesn't tell him everything. He doesn't go back to Jethro and he doesn't tell him all the details of what just happened. He doesn't tell him all that God has called him to do and all the details surrounding the event. And we don't know exactly why. There's part of me that I would have been totally different than Moses here. I would have gone back to my father-in-law, anybody around me and been like, dude, do you know what I just saw? Do you know what just happened? I just saw God at the burning bush and he's told me all of these different things. But that's not how Moses responds. Mainly, maybe because Moses is painfully aware of his excuse-filled response. He knows how he has responded with a lack of faith, how he's responded in fear. So maybe he he is sensing a, a sense of trepidation. Maybe he's ashamed in his response. Maybe he's scared. Maybe he didn't think Jethro would believe him. Maybe there's been times in our own life when we have not shared the truth because we're afraid that people would actually believe what we have to say. Maybe he thinks it's just too far-fetched or kind of where I kind of come into the picture here and thinking maybe he didn't want to worry him. Like he's going and saying right before Jethro, he didn't want to go before him, but like, hey, hey, Jethro, I'm going to take your daughter, I'm going to take your grandkids, and I'm going to go stand before Pharaoh, like the most powerful person in the world at this time, and I'm going to tell him to let the people of Israel go. Like, can you imagine if your daughter or your son-in-law came and he told you that same thing, that's what he was going to do? I mean, the, the, the fear that you would have coming into your mind as, as a parent or a grandparent? But what we see here in coming and asking Jethro, he's honoring his father-in-law. He's fulfilling the fifth commandment before there is a fifth commandment. Now, does that mean that all adult children have to obey everything that their their parents tell them? No, that's not what this is telling us. But we still have to honor our parents no matter how old we become. If Jethro had not given his blessing, if Jethro had said, no, you, you cannot go, Moses still has to be faithful to what God has called him to do. He has to be faithful to God over man, but he's honoring Jethro by inviting him into the process, asking him for his blessing. A reminder that we honor our parents by inviting them into the process regardless of our our age. I mean, Moses could have responded like we're tempted to respond in our flesh. Like he could have been gone up and be like, hey, God's called me to do this. I don't care what Jethro thinks, right? That I'm making my decisions for my family. I'm 80 years old. I'm a man. I don't need to ask my father-in-law's permission here. You think about it, he's 80 years old. He doesn't have to go to his father-in-law and ask for his permission here as an 80-year-old man, but he does showing a sign of respect and going and asking. Because don't forget that Moses going to Egypt isn't just a big deal for Moses here, but also a big deal for Jethro. 
He lived 40 years with his family there. Why? Because Jethro is the one having to say goodbye to his daughter and his grandchildren. And he doesn't, he honestly, he doesn't know if he's going to see them again or, or, or if ever or when that might be. That's hard. There's no fa- FaceTime or postal service or like telephone. There, there's no flights in and out of Egypt to Midian like, so they can hop on and like go visit for the weekend. That, that's not happening. And for you who have had children and kind of leave home, it, it, it's hard for parents and grandparents to, to see their children and grandchildren move away. I can only imagine what that must be like. It's hard for, for children and grandchildren to live away from parents and grandparents. I get that. So what Moses does here by asking for Jethro's blessing is, is he's showing honor in a form of obedience. And in doing so, he also received further affirmation to go. Like Jethro's backing up what God's telling him to do here. This is what you need to be doing because what is Jethro's response, even with this limited amount of information? He says, go in peace. Oh, that helps so much when you're getting that affirmation and the blessing from family. I mean, just a personal note here. I cannot imagine like, doing like, what Leslie and I do of moving here 13 hours away from family without both of our parents, sets of parents, being affirming and giving blessing to, to be here. Like they, they, they've told us to go in peace and to be here, and they are making the sacrifices to come and to visit and do those things, and we are so grateful for that. Now, we'd be here either way. Like we love it here. But it's so much better being able to have parents saying, go in peace. We support you. We're there for you. But then for more affirmation to know this, God comes back to Moses and even more affirmation. And he tells, goes on to assure Moses that everyone who was looking to kill him is now dead. So, you know, that's going to be a fear hanging over Moses' head. You know, one, got family leaving behind. But two, he's like, man, they want to kill me there. And God is saying, okay, Moses, they're not going to kill you. They're all gone. They're dead. Reassurance. Now, what is Moses doing? He's leaving. Staff in hand, walking in faith, trusting in the promises of God. Moses begins to, take, to make his way to Egypt. And what helps in walking in faith in the midst of fear and uncertainty? Because no doubt Moses is, is experiencing fear and uncertainty. And I'm speaking again personally here. It's trusting in the sovereignty of God. When you're walking in the midst of that uncertainty, you don't know how things are going to play out. You're just saying, I'm I'm walking in faith and I'm trusting that God is in control of absolutely everything. And that leads us to our second point. God is sovereign over everything. Look at verses 21 through 23. It's further elaborating on Moses' instructions from the Lord. Moses is to do before Pharaoh all the miracles that God has given him to do. This isn't just the the three signs that we saw in verses one through nine. This is all the the 10 plagues. This is all the signs, all the miracles that he's given him to do. Do them all. So Moses knows the game plan. There's nothing being caught off guard here. Everything he's supposed to do and all the results have now been given to him. Even knows exactly how Pharaoh will respond. He's been told he's not going to respond favorably. He's not going to believe. And why is that? God now goes ahead and tells him. Here's why he's not going to believe. God telling Pharaoh, God telling Moses, Pharaoh will not listen because I, God, will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. Let's be honest. 
This is emotionally and even mentally difficult when we begin to think about this. The whole idea of God hardening Pharaoh's heart. Because when we hear this or we think about it like, and we really start to think about it, the tendency can be to think that God is removing Pharaoh's or, or ours or somebody else's will from the equation, making him do something that he doesn't want to do. Now, let's be clear, that's not what's happening here. That's not what's taking place. But then we have to ask the question, okay, what is taking place here? What is happening here? Well, it's twofold. One, God is demonstrating his sovereignty over everything. He's not hardening Pharaoh's heart just to make it more difficult for Moses, being like, hey, this is going to be fun. Let's see how difficult we can make this for Moses while he's in Egypt. That's not what's happening. He's hardening Pharaoh's heart to show that he is sovereign, not Pharaoh. And in that day and age, Pharaoh was seen as the sovereign one. He was seen in a sense as a God there. And now God is coming through and saying, no, 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 no. Pharaoh is not sovereign. I am. And I'm going to show you how. See, the Bible believes in a God who is really and truly God. Matthew telling us that not one sparrow falls to the ground without God, without him. And in Proverbs, even the chance roll of a dice is under the divine control of our sovereign God. We could give example after example all day long and still have many to go, but the Bible believes that there is absolutely nothing happening or existing outside of the sovereign hand of God, including the human heart. See, God was sovereign over Pharaoh's heart just as he is sovereign over each of ours, but not in a way that removes Pharaoh's own personal responsibility and culpability. Same with Joseph's brothers and the same with us. They're responsible for their actions and their decisions. Pharaoh is responsible for his actions and decisions. We are 100% responsible for our actions and decisions, but at the exact same time, God is sovereign 100% over our actions and decisions. Boom, right? How do we reconcile that? We don't have to. J.C. Ryle states, this is a paradox of divine sovereignty and human responsibility, which is not a puzzle to be solved, but a mystery to be adored. It should drive us to worship. I don't understand this. Good. He is an infinite God and we are finite people. This isn't just God here that knowing what Pharaoh will, will make a decision. He's not going to let people go and just saying, okay, that's what he's making his decision on. No, this is the promise made in Genesis chapter 15 that Israel, the people that didn't even exist yet. Remember then, back when Abraham was battling infertility and God tells him, hey, this people who doesn't exist yet, they're going to be enslaved for 400 years in, in, in a foreign land, which is Egypt and then I'm gonna let them go, that's being fulfilled right here. Ah, again, a paradox of divine sovereignty and human responsibility, which is not a puzzle to be solved, but a mystery to be adored. So yes, God is sovereign over everything, including the human heart, but again, 
not in a way that removes our responsibility or culpability. Put it this way, God never takes a humble and contrite heart and hardens it to do what it doesn't want to do. Neither Pharaoh nor anyone else is saying, oh, I just, I want to love God with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my strength, with all my mind. I want to do this, but God's not letting me. I want to love Christ. I want to follow Christ. But God says, no, that never happens. Never. Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Guaranteed. There is no one in heaven who has had somebody had to twist their arm for them to be there. There's no one in hell who doesn't know without a shadow of a doubt that that is where they deserve to be. And we need to understand is that every heart, every human heart is born hardened against God as an enemy of God. By nature, we like Pharaoh are enemies of God and can do nothing in our own power to change that. No one wakes up one morning and decides in their own power, on their own initiative to believe or to seek after God. They just wake up one morning and be like, hey, today's the day. I'm turning my life around all in my own power. That does not happen. The Bible is clear. Romans chapter 3, no one seeks after God. No, not one. We are as helpless to soften our own hearts as Pharaoh was to soften his Thus the reminder of God's grace. Thus a reminder of God's grace that it is only by grace that any heart is softened. It is only by God's grace that anyone seeks. Only by God's grace that anyone believes. We bring nothing of ourselves to the table. It is totally by the grace of our sovereign God. So if you're here today and you would classify yourself as a seeker this morning, and you are honestly looking for answers, not to debate as a hardened skeptic, but honestly looking for answers to life's most difficult questions, I have good news for you. That means God is already working in your life in ways that you don't even begin to imagine. Like you're here this morning, you're like, I don't know why I'm here this morning. I've never wanted to come to church before, but you're here today. That is because God is doing something in your life and ask him this morning to soften your heart. Ask him this morning to make it possible for you to believe and believe, believe, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Let that be your prayer. Believe and follow after him. You don't have to have it all figured out. Believe. Okay, now that was a really long explanation for reason number one. But now second and most important. Most important reason God hardened Pharaoh's heart was to prove his love for his children. Notice how God refers to Israel as his firstborn son. There's an intimate relationship here. That's language identifying Israel as the one who has the right to the father's inheritance. But also the reminder that Israel wouldn't even exist if it were not for God choosing to create them. God's people only exist because God decided to create for himself a people. Go all the way back to Genesis chapter 12. Just as you and I only exist because, well, I'll let you, you get the picture. That's it. That's the only reason that the people of Israel exist. And here's God coming to deliver his people, his children, from slavery in Egypt, 
just as he had promised. Telling Moses to tell Pharaoh in verse 22, thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn son. And I say to you, let my son go that he may serve me. If you refuse to let him go, behold, I will kill your firstborn. These verses are essential here, church, to understanding Exodus, and they're essential to understanding the gospel. Two things here, kind of inside the two things, two things. One, that God's people are to be set free from slavery in Egypt to serve him and to worship him. Not to do just whatever they want to do and to live however they want to live. They're not being set free just to go and and have their best life now. No, they are currently slaves of who? Pharaoh. They're slaves under Pharaoh, who everybody in this day and age, in that day and age, deemed to be a god, right? Pharaoh then expecting what from the people of Israel? That they would serve him and worship him. But now comes the deliverer. God is delivering his people. Do you see a gospel parallel here? God redeems us from our bondage to sin and death in order to to do good works, to serve Christ, to walk in holiness and obedience to him, to worship him, not to just live however we want to live. We are being transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of God's beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. We're being bought with a price that we cannot afford. We are going from serving a master of sin to being slaves of Christ to servants of Christ. Oh, what joy. We get to serve Christ. We get to serve this sovereign God. Number two here, Exodus is a story of sonship. We're going to see this flushed out further as we move forward, but we can't miss the language here that Israel is called God's firstborn. And we can't miss the language here that he threatens to kill Pharaoh's firstborn son, which is is exactly what will happen because of Pharaoh's hardened heart. God pointing here to the 10th and final plague, the death of every firstborn who doesn't take refuge under the blood of the sacrificial lamb. I want you to see this because it's easy to look at Pharaoh and the people of of Egypt as the bad guys of the story and and be like, okay, they're getting what they deserve. They're the dark side. They're the bad people. They're getting what they deserve and then fail to see that Israel's not getting what they deserve. They're not because Israel, God's firstborn son, does not walk in perfect obedience to their father, do they? They don't. No, no sooner than they get out of Egypt, we'll see that they're going to start complaining. They're going to be disobeying. They're going to be sinning. They're going to stop worshiping. But again, this is why Exodus is pointing us over and over again to the gospel. Because remember, after Jesus was born, what happened? Where did his parents flee to? They fled to Egypt, where he remained until the death of King Herod. So you've got a bit of parallelism here. You have him, them fleeing to Egypt until it was safe to return. Now you, you have here Moses fleeing to Midian until it's safe to return. The Gospel of Matthew then quoting Hosea chapter 11, verse 1, out of Egypt I called my son. 
We have definitely Israel as being called the firstborn son. Israel is coming at where? From Egypt out into the promised land. This firstborn son, the son of God, where does he come? From Egypt to the promised land, right? For a purpose, where? To deliver his people. He's coming on a rescue mission. He steps into the, bath, the baptismal waters in, in Matthew chapter three, and God the Father says what? This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. All pointing to the sonship of Christ. John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should never perish, but have everlasting life. All that meaning what? That Jesus is the true Israel, God's firstborn son. What Adam failed to do, what Israel failed to do, what we have failed to do was perfectly fulfilled in Christ, the son of God. And it's under his unblemished and sinless blood that we take our faith-filled refuge. And in doing so, we become children of God and we remain children of God. We who were once slaves to sin and death are adopted once and for all into the family of God. Oh, church, let that bring your heart to worship this morning. Brings us to number three. God expects his children to obey him. You can even add on there, God expects his children to obey him as an act of worship. We see this from what follows in verses 24 through 26, which are honestly some of the strangest verses in all of the Old Testament, if not the Bible. <laughs> like not gonna shy away from saying what we see in these verses is hard to understand. There's nothing easy about it. That's why I've had text, literally, I've had text messages and emails and like people coming up after services as they've been reading ahead and saying, uh, Pastor, <laughs> what do we do with this? And like, I'm so encouraged by that because it shows that you're reading ahead. It shows that you're asking questions. And I've said, okay, just wait, we're, we're going to get there. But it's like, what do we do with this? Like what? So rest assured, if that's you, you haven't asked the questions, but you're thinking it, you're not alone. We've got Moses and his family on their way to Egypt, right? God has told him everything that he's supposed to do. Everything seems to be like it's going well. And seemingly out of nowhere, we're told on the way, the Lord met him and sought to put him to death. And then that's followed by Moses' wife, Zipporah, circumcising her, her son, touching Moses with the circumcised foreskin. What do we do with this, right? Well, if we do not believe in expositional preaching and preaching through books of the Bible, I'll tell you what we would do with this. We would just skip over it. But that is not how we roll, right? That's not how we do things here. If it's difficult, we're gonna deal with it because just because it's difficult does not change the fact that this is still God's word and we need to know what it means and how it applies to our life, even though we're sitting here thinking, how in the world, like what in the world do we do with this? So the first thing is, who is him in verse 24? Like, who is the him here? Because even though some translations like the NIV assume that it's Moses, we don't know that for sure. There's some ambiguity in the original text here, which is why I like how the ESV leaves us with that ambiguity. It's not being definitive here. Could be, could be Moses, 
right? That's probably where our brain goes to immediately. Could be Moses, the Lord has sought to put to death. But considering the context of what has just come previous, the Lord talking about killing Pharaoh's firstborn son, the him could be referring to Moses's firstborn son. Again, we're not sure. And when there are so many uncertainties, when there's so much ambiguity here, it's always best not to make major points from uncertainties. We're not gonna go in and say, okay, well, it's all a bunch of uncertainties. Here's how you live your life by these uncertainties. No, that's not what we do. Instead, we need to focus on what is clear, focus on what is obvious. And what is clear and what is obvious is that Moses has been unfaithful in his obedience to practicing God's law of circumcision. He has not circumcised his son. That is clear according to the law as found in Genesis chapter 17, verse 10, as you will see on the screen. We're gonna read this together. God's covenant to Abraham. This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised. Every male throughout your generations, whether born in your house or bought with your money from any foreigner who is not of your offspring, both he who is born in your house and he who is bought with your money shall surely be circumcised. So shall my covenant be in your flesh, an everlasting covenant. Any uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. All that meaning, if either Moses or his son had not been circumcised, Moses was walking in disobedience. On his way to Egypt in faith, but still walking in disobedience. And his disobedience is also putting his own son in danger. Now, remember, Moses had levied out five excuses or objections of what God had called him to do. He had the four I can'ts followed by the I don't want to, right? And the only time that we saw God's anger kindled against him was not after the I can'ts, but after the I don't want to, when Moses said, please send someone else. Same thing here. Moses is following God in faith to Egypt. Good but he's also living in disobedience to God's law. Not good. That cannot happen. That's what God is teaching Moses and us here. We can't faithfully follow the Lord and be living in blatant disobedience to his commands. Now we could have a, a litany of application points here, right? But thinking with the New Testament in, in mind, direct application, what is the very first thing that the, the Lord commands of his followers after we come to faith in Christ? To be baptized. We are to be baptized as a visible sign of our circumcised hearts, identifying us as children of God. Go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Baptized and refusing to do so is sinful disobedience. Now, remember, baptism does not save us. We're clear on that. It does not save us, but neither is it optional. We can't just say, yeah, I want to or I don't want to. So maybe you're, you're here this morning and you're like, I've never, I've never been baptized. 
And you're not avoiding it out of intentional rebellion, but just being honest, you're like, I've never been taught this before. That's fair enough. But that's why we're walking through the books of the Bible. That's why we're teaching what comes along to be able to teach and correct as we go. So if that's you, I'd be happy to talk with you, either the service or at another time. Or maybe you're, you're, you're here today and you're being honest. You're like, I've never been baptized before because I'm, I'm scared to do so. For whatever reason, there's, there's real fears that are keeping you from entering into the baptismal waters. I don't know what those may be. Only you do. Well, let's get together. Let's, let's talk through those fears. But realize that none of our fears are ever an excuse to keep us from obeying the will of God. So if you've never been baptized since coming to faith in Christ, I would love to talk with you. And all of that leads us to point number four. Most of our fears are not justified. Do you remember all of Moses' anxiousness? Again, we've said it repeatedly through here. All of his fears, all of his excuses. I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't. I don't want to. Which then leads to disobedience. You see how fear can lead us to disobeying God's will? So what happens after Moses does what God tells him to do? He actually goes. He goes before the people. He tells Aaron everything he needs to say. Aaron communicates to the people of Israel what happens. Remember, Moses was like, they're not going to believe me. What happens? Verse 31, they believed. The people believed. Just like God told him they would. Meaning what? His fears were unfounded. Doesn't mean they weren't real, but they were unfounded. They're just not justified. Again, the same is true with so many of our fears. Our biggest fears don't usually turn out as bad as we fear. And even if they do, even if they do, we go immediately back to the reminder that God is sovereign over everything. But you think about that. We, we conjure up all these fears in our mind and we work up all these scenarios in our head. Like, for example, we go back to sharing the gospel with somebody. Well, if I share the gospel with them, they're, they're going to respond negatively. They're not going to believe me. They're going to do this and they're going to do that. And like, you have these things that like, they're going to like spit in your face or punch you or, or just walk away and be mad at you, which is not likely going to happen. They may not believe, but they may believe. We don't know. Immediately, we come back to the reminder, God is sovereign over everything. Worst case scenario, God is sovereign over everything. But see, what I love about this, all of this, is that Moses is the author, the human author, meaning Moses wrote all this stuff about himself. He's writing about his failures. He's writing about his mess-ups, his lack of faith. He's just being honest and throwing it down there. He was like, see how much I still had to learn? Right here, I got a lot to learn. Which does what? It shows how he continued to grow and learn and mature as he followed God. He didn't have it all figured out from day one. His spiritual growth took time. And if that's true for Moses, who wrote the first five books of the Bible, how much more is that true for us as well? We have so much to learn. We're not going to have it all figured out from day one. Now, one last thing. Number five, it's possible to worship God in the midst of suffering. Notice the last part of verse 31. Israelites are still slaves in Egypt. Their circumstances have not changed yet. Still living under the oppression of Pharaoh. 
was to hear the good news that God has sent Moses to deliver. What happens? They believe, right? They believe. But then what does their belief lead to? Worship. They bowed their heads and worshiped. Verse 31. Worshiping in the midst of their suffering. Why? Because they believed the promises of God. So whatever circumstance you find yourself in today, whether it's a season of suffering or a season of celebration, believe the promises of God. Rest in the promises of God. And let those promises, let that belief lead your heart to worship. Remember that just as Moses was saved from God's immediate judgment by the blood of his son, we who are in Christ have been saved from our eternal judgment by the blood of Christ, God's son. We who once were dead in our sin, hardened in heart, are now children of God. Let that this morning lead your heart to worship. Understand that if you are in Christ, you have been set free. You are no longer in bondage to sin and death. Let that lead your heart to worship this morning. And yes, as we all have many things yet to learn, many things that we will yet learn as we walk with Christ. But as we're learning them, the one thing that we can do here and now and every day forward is that we can worship him. We don't have to wait to begin worshiping. We start worshiping now and we don't stop worshiping. Church, I want to more than anything, as we walk through this book of Exodus, just hold up and point to this sovereign God. I want you to behold him for who he is. To see how he is the God in control of all the details. There is nothing that is catching him off guard. And over and over and over again, he's saying, I will be with you. And he has proven that through his son, Jesus Christ. Let that bring your heart to worship this morning. Let that be a place of rest this morning. Let's pray. Thank you, O oh Lord, for revealing yourself and your plan of redemption to us through your word. Thank you for loving us when we did not love you. Loving us when our hearts were hardened. And loving us and pursuing us with a fatherly affection to redeem us. Let us never grow tired of hearing, sharing, singing, praying, and thinking on this good news. We thank you, O oh Lord. And we trust you now to, to use your word to bring new life to those who you, have, who you have, Lord, just brought here today and maybe not even know why. But bring new life to these individuals. Help them to believe. And for those of us who are in Christ, help us to continue to rest in Christ, continue to sustain life as we continue to believe. When we have moments where we are, are not looking to believe or, or having doubts and cringe upon our thoughts, Lord, 
Help us again to pray. Help us to believe, help me to believe, despite my unbelief. Lord, help us to rest in you. Not to try to figure everything out, but to rest in you and to worship you. And to do it all for your glory. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.